The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, Where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many leading the festive procession to the house of God, with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Do you remember playing hide-and-seek as a young child? So one, one person closes their eyes and starts counting while the other kids run away and hide. When the counter reaches the magical number, he yells, Ready or not, here I come. Then the hut begins. He runs around looking behind trees in garbage cans, searching anywhere everywhere for those hiding from him. So if my memory serves me correct, the game ends the same way every time. The youngest sibling is chosen to seek. When he closes his eyes and begins counting, the older siblings all sneak inside without telling him. So he reaches 100 and he starts searching for his brothers and sisters. The longer he searches, the more desperate he gets. Eventually, in tears, he yells, it's not funny, come out, I can't find you. And the whole time he's searching, his siblings are inside watching Andy Griffith show reruns. Do you ever feel like God is hiding from you and it won't come out? Does it seem like he's gone inside and forgotten about you? Does he seem far away, maybe even disinterested in what's going on in your life? Psalm 42 and 43 speak to this experience of feeling distant from God. These two psalms were originally a single poem describing a time of exile when God felt far away. Now these are the first psalms written by the sons of Korah. And it's part of a collection of psalms that begins with Psalm 42 and stretches through Psalm 49. The sons of Korah were musicians who led worship in the temple. And though we don't know the specific historical situation that prompted the writing of this poem, it seems that the author was in exile from Jerusalem. He, he may have even been one of the hostages taken by King Jehoahash when he attacked Jerusalem. Wh- whatever the, the specific reason, he's far from home and he feels far from God. He's, he's not only physically in exile, but he feels like a spiritual refugee as well. Are you there right now? Have you ever been there in the past? Has God ever felt far away? Have you ever felt like you were in exile, not sure how or when you would return? This psalm not only helps us articulate the pain of exile, but it shows us the path home. Now, unlike many of the psalms we've studied this summer, The problems facing the author are not the result of of a particular sin. So so many many of the psalms that we've been studying this summer, 
At some point we see that there's a, a specific confession made by the writer acknowledging that, that his sin, at least in part, was, was behind why he was in a difficult circumstance. But we don't have that here. No, nothing in the psalm indicates that the author's sin has led him to this point. And, and this may be why he finds it so painful. He's trying to be faithful. He loves God and he longs to be with him. He's not living in rebellion. He's not hiding sin. Can you identify with how he feels? Maybe God feels distant to you as you read your Bible. Maybe God seems silent as you try to pray. And the distance you feel doesn't As far as you can tell, it doesn't seem to be a result of apathy or rebellion. It seems to be happening in spite of what you're doing, not because of what you're doing. Well, in his pain and into the silence of God, the author asks 11 questions. And I want to focus on three questions that I think summarize the pain he's feeling. Here's the first question. When can I appear before God? When can I appear before God? Now, this question is found in verse 2. It really summarizes verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 42. Now, verse 1 is often misinterpreted. So so when we we read verse 1, we we tend to think of sort of this beautiful pastoral scene. There's a nice brook that is flowing between a grove of trees. From the forest edge, little, little Bambi appears. And he makes his way down to the stream. And as, as the afternoon sunlight reflects upon the flowing water, Bambi takes a nice, contented drink. Oh, that's not what verse 1 is describing. This is describing a, a time of drought where the stream has dried up. There are only a few shallow, stagnant puddles with flies buzzing around them. Bambi's dead. And Bambi's mother is dragging herself to the puddle hoping that there's enough water in there to keep her alive for one more day. Look at verse 1. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? The psalmist is desperate for God's presence, and he feels like he might die if God doesn't respond. His soul feels like it's shriveling from lack of refreshment. He, he can't seem to find a trace of God's presence anywhere he looks. When will things change? When will he experience God's presence again? Not only is he thirsting for God, but he says he's starving for God as well. No food or water, just tears and jeers all day long. Verse 3, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. While all day long people say to me, where is your God? So he's surrounded, he says, by people that are feasting on God's substitutes. They take bite after bite, and as they eat of these substitutes, they mock him and they say, where's your God? Why won't he help you? And his hunger is made worse by his inability to answer the question because he knows that nothing other than God is going to satisfy him, but God seems so far away. Now in his sorrow, he he thinks back 
to what it used to be like. So he remembers these wonderful times of worship at the temple, these, these great celebrations where he would walk with a crowd of feastgoers up to the temple, and as they're walking, they're singing and they're shouting praises to God. And those sweet memories of worship make this isolation and exile even more painful. Verse 4, he says, I remember this as I pour out my heart. How I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. He, He knows something that each of us should know, but we often forget. That gathered worship is one of the most important ways that we experience the nearness of God. Now, it's not the only way, but it's an indispensable way. I remember talking with the Purdue's. Those were, those were some of our former global partners. Not long after they had, had moved to the Far East to take the gospel there, and I, I was visiting with them, and I remember them saying that one of the hardest parts about being halfway around the world, immersed in a new culture, was being away from their church's worship gatherings. They, they felt deeply the sting of that loss, the loss of joyful singing and of celebrating the Lord's table, the loss of deep communion around the Word of God and in prayer. And, and so this is one of the ways that we can serve our current global partners. We can pray for them as they navigate the loss of gathering for worship in their native tongue. Like, that's hard. It's painful. It hurts. Does it hurt you to miss the weekly worship gatherings? See, there's a strange phenomenon that I've, I've witnessed over the years that when the ability to worship is taken away, Christians desperately miss it. Like they feel the loss in a profound way. But when they can meet weekly, they often choose to miss it. Like they make it optional. And sometimes when God feels far away, we're tempted to skip the worship gathering completely. We tell ourselves, like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll come back when I feel like I can really worship. Or I'll, I'll return when I feel closer to God. When God has given you this weekly gathering as a gift to experience His presence with His people, when He feels distant, draw closer to other Christians. Like, skipping this is not going to make you feel closer to God. Here's the second question. Why have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? So the the psalmist's physical distance from Jerusalem describes or pictures his sort of spiritual feelings. So he's he's stuck in the north of Israel. He's possibly on, on his way, maybe as a captive, outside the borders. And he finds his current situation deeply depressing. As as he travels through the mountains, he hears water rushing over the cliffs. And he he feels like that water is battering him. He feels like the water has swept him off his feet and is pounding him into the rocks. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, I am deeply depressed. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls the deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. Now, something interesting happens in his sorrow. In his sorrow, he affirms correct theology. Like he recites what God says, 
but he struggles to figure out how it how it's working itself out in his circumstances. So part of his pain comes from this, that his experience is not matching his theology. You can sense sort of this internal struggle. So on the one hand, he says in verse 7, I feel like God has sent out his waves and he's pounding me with them. And then in verse 8 he says, but I know that God sends out his faithful love every day. Verse 6 he says, God is distant But verse 80 says, God's song is with me all night long. So which one is it? Is God near or is God far? Is God causing pain or is God sending love? Well, his confusion continues in verse 9. Is God the rock of his life producing stability or has God forgotten him? Look at verse 9. He says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? See, this is what makes the pain so great. How can God forget me when I know his love is steadfast and unchanging? How can God batter me against the rocks when I know he is my rock? How does it feel like my life is defined more by the taunts of my enemies, verse 10, than by the truth of what God has said? Have you ever felt... Like your theology doesn't match your circumstances? I have. I know we have as a church. When Jason and Demi were going through custody hearings and the judge kept ruling unjustly, it felt like God had forgotten them. And how how can God protect the fatherless but let their son be taken? If God loves children and gives them his gifts, how can... How can you believe that after a miscarriage? I think it's fair to say that our understanding of God's character sometimes makes certain moments of pain feel more acute. Like, right? At times it seems like it would just be easier if everything was random. You know, if everything just happened by chance. No, no, well, I guess it just happened. Like, it can be harder when this happens and... Well, I know God is sovereign. I know God is powerful. I know that God is loving. And in those moments, because we know who he is, we're tempted to land where the psalmist lands, which is, well, maybe he just forgot me. Can I encourage you to be sympathetic to those who are struggling? Because we see in this psalm, that it is possible for us to struggle with incredible contradictions as we sort out how what we're dealing with aligns with what God says. So, so it's, it's possible for me to simultaneously affirm that God is my rock and to feel like God is dashing me against the rocks. Our struggles are not always orderly or logical. So we can feel these two things at the very same moment. And so let's be patient. And let's be present with each other when we're struggling through the confusion of feeling forgotten by God. Here's the third question. Why have you rejected me? Why have you rejected me? Alone in exile. Heaven is silent. Enemies are mocking, overwhelmed by sorrow, feeling rejected, needing an advocate, needing a champion. 
The psalmist doesn't turn to idols, but he trusts the Lord. He feels rejected, but he is not going to reject God. Look at chapter 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, God, and champion my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person, for you are the God of my refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? It's hard to trust God when those who oppose what's right, those who live contrary to what God says, they seem to be prospering while God's people seem to be suffering. So when you lose out on a promotion because you won't pledge yourself to promoting sexual sin and destructive behavior, it can feel like God has rejected you. When your husband is imprisoned by the communist government because he preaches the Bible, it can feel like God has rejected you. When evil empires gain more power and use that power to hurt and harm Christians, it can feel like God has rejected his people. But do you realize that Jesus understands the feeling of rejection? In fact, Jesus chose God's rejection so that we would never have to face it. That Jesus took our sin on his shoulders and through the offering of his life in our place, he vindicated us before God. He is our champion. And his death and resurrection assures us that even if we feel rejected, if we belong to him, we aren't rejected. We cannot be rejected ever. However, there are evil and demonic forces at work in our world. In our age of science and technology, it's easy for for us to forget that we have an enemy who is opposing us at every turn, that he is trying to make us feel alone. He is trying to convince us that God has forgotten us. He's trying to make us think that the challenges of life are whispers of God's disappointment with us. Sometimes we feel like God is a long way from us. We feel like we've been exiled from his presence. He, that he's not only forgotten us, maybe, maybe he's rejected us. If you feel this way, can I offer you hope? Because the psalm, these psalms give us a path home. I, I love this. I love that this psalm speaks honestly to the Christian condition. It admits that sometimes we feel like God is far away and we don't know what to do but it does more than affirm our feeling. It guides us back to God. So it gives us three steps to take on the way home. Here's how we get home when God feels distant. Keep talking to God. Keep talking to God. So how do you respond when you're frustrated? How do you respond when you're depressed? Some people clam up and don't talk at all, right? They grow silent, and the pressure keeps building, sort of like a tea kettle. It just keeps building until... They explode on some unsuspecting person at Kohl's. Right? Others can't shut up. Right? They talk to anyone. They talk to everyone. They're, they're like a, a leaky faucet. And they share how they feel with everyone, even with people who are known to give bad advice. Listen, you don't stop talking to God because he feels far away. The further he feels, the more you need to talk to him. That's what we see modeled in this passage. Look at Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. 
Verse 6, I am deeply depressed, therefore I remember you. Verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 43 verse 1, vindicate me, God, and champion my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from the deceitful and unjust person. Verse 2, for you are the God of my refuge. Now I've noticed this tendency in myself and others. The thing I most need to do is the hardest thing for me to do. So for instance, when life is busy and I find it hard to find time to or energy maybe to exercise. What, what's the thing I most need to do? I most need to watch what I eat. Because that makes sense, right? Don't have time to exercise? Watch what you eat. Is that what I actually do? No. Because I can't exercise, I'm like, well, might as well eat whatever I want. Like that, That's not logical, but it's natural, at least to me. So when God feels far away, what do I most need to do? I need to keep talking to him, to cry out to him, to pound on heaven's door until I get an answer. But that is hard. Let me suggest a practical way that will help you keep talking to God when he feels distant. Invite someone to talk to God with you. Don't try to do it alone. God placed you in a family and he is not offended if, if his children come together to talk to him. So, so one of the reasons sometimes we find it hard to pray in these moments is because we're not sure what to say. Let someone else say it. Let them come up with the words. You can listen and agree. Say like, yes, Lord, that, that's how I feel. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus faced the rejection of God, he invited three of his disciples to come deeper into the garden with him to pray. Like, you don't need to walk through these times alone. Keep talking to God. Here's a second step. Trust him to respond. Trust him to respond. So here this psalmist is. He's writing these words. He's in exile. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. But he is confident of this, that one day God will respond to him. He knows he needs God to intervene, and God will not remain silent, and so he begs God to lead him back home. Look at verse 3. He says, send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. I will praise you with the liar, God, my God. You see, the way home is not something the psalmist can manufacture on his own. Like He... he he can't get himself out of the situation he's found himself in. God has to do it. When everything is dark, when everything is distorted, God has to send light. God has to send truth. God needs to guide him. Like he cannot and he will not discover the answers on his own. But notice, notice how he continues to hope even when things seem bleak. Like he doesn't let go of this hopeful future. He sees a future return to Jerusalem, the holy mountain, to the temple or God's dwelling place, the altar inside the temple, and finally, God himself at the center. So part of faith is holding on to future hope, even when you have no idea how future hope will be fulfilled. I mean, of course, waiting is always a part of faith. If you don't have to wait, you don't need faith. Faith is for waiting. 
So if I were to promise you $100 and give it to you as I made the promise, you don't have to trust me. I'm going to give you $100, and there it is. You didn't have time for faith. But if I say this, I'm going to give you $100, and I don't give it to you immediately, now you have to trust me. My brothers and sisters, we know this, that we're called to live a life of faith. The just shall live by faith. Which, which means we're called to a life of waiting for God's promises to come to pass. There's no way around it. Now, I think it's clear as we read these verses that the psalmist has thought deeply about what the future holds. Like, can you see this as he writes this? He can picture himself gathered again with the congregation, celebrating together God's deliverance. In verse 4 it says he can even picture himself playing the lyre. Now, the lyre is a a small harp-like instrument. Adam actually almost ordered one this week to lead the final song. Do you know you can get them Amazon Prime one day shipping if you want a liar? You could have one tomorrow. Start working on it. But but here's what I want you to see. Clearly, this is something he's thought about. In his mind, he has rehearsed over and over what the future will look like. This is how he's holding on to hope. So if God feels distant, rehearse what it will be like when things change. Think about what you'll do, how you'll celebrate, how you'll serve him. Like rehearse a future filled with joy. We see that he makes three requests in verse 3. He asks God to send light. He asks God to send truth. And he asks God to send him a way home. Light, truth, and a way. Would God send them? Well, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will no longer walk in darkness. Jesus told his disciples, I am the way the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the way God answers his people's requests is through Jesus. Jesus leads us out of darkness. Jesus leads us out of despair. Jesus leads us out of exile and back to the Father. So keep talking to God. Trust him to respond. And third, speak truth to yourself. Three times here, the psalmist repeats the same refrain, almost word for word. So as he talks with God about his struggles, as he waits for God to respond, he counsels himself with the truth. Look at Psalm 42, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. He repeats it again in verse 11, and then in chapter 43, verse 5. So he doesn't just listen to himself, he speaks truth to himself. In his helpful book, Spiritual Depression, the British pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones offers this counsel from this psalm. He writes, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment when you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, the psalmist's treatment was this. Instead of allowing himself to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul has been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. 
Friends, this, this is so important for our spiritual health. Do you listen to yourself or do you talk to yourself? I don't mean talk to yourself like Stuart Smalley, the Saturday Night Live character who would look in a mirror and repeat, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Right? Not, not empty affirmations, truthful counsel. You need to counsel yourself with the truth of God's Word. Do you realize that when you're listening to yourself, those thoughts that just go through your head, as soon as you get up, as you're laying in bed at night, what you're really listening to are your feelings. And I don't know how many times I've seen this, you probably have too, where someone justifies a terrible decision, a life-changing, often life-destroying decision with, well, I really felt like I should, or I feel like I'm supposed to. Listen, your feelings are like a four-year-old. They can be a lot of fun, but they shouldn't be making the decisions. The psalmist doesn't trust his feelings. He doesn't say, why are you troubled, oh my soul? Oh well, what can I do? I feel troubled. No, he speaks to his soul and he directs his soul how to respond. Now you may be thinking, Josh, it's not that easy. When God feels distant, when I feel troubled and anxious, depressed, I can't tell myself how to feel. This is not a a switch I can flip. And that's true. I am not encouraging you to trust your own willpower. Remember how he's been talking to God the whole time. He's trusting God to act. He's trusting God to be his champion. He doesn't say, like, I'll be my own champion. He says, I need a champion. I need someone who will send me light. I need someone who will send me truth. I need someone who will guide me home. So he's counting on God to act. But while he talks to God, he counsels his own soul. And it's not easy. I'm not saying or suggesting it's easy. Notice he says the same exact thing to himself three times. Not once, not twice, three times. See, when you're downcast, you can't counsel yourself once and think that'll be sufficient. You have to keep telling yourself how to respond. Keep reminding yourselves that your feelings are not all-powerful. If you are a Christian, you are not enslaved to how you feel. Like Jesus has released you. Like you're made in his image. You're not an animal who can only act out their instincts. You're, you're made in the image of God as a Christian. That image of God is being renewed in you so you can decide how to act even if you feel like acting a different way. And so, Christians, stop ceding control of your actions to your feelings and start directing your soul. Keep telling yourself the truth until your feelings begin to align with what is right, not what is easy. See, spiritual struggles are not like software updates. Like you can't, you can't click a button and take care of your struggles with a single download. Part of faith is persisting in what is right, even when what is right is really, really hard. Are you one of those people who flip to the back of the book and read the conclusion before you reach it? I'll be honest, that really annoys me. Like the whole point of the story is to 
build suspense, build mystery, keep you on the edge of your seat. What's going to turn out? Who did it? How's this going to resolve? But we're going to do this today. Remember, this, this two-part psalm is the first of a group of psalms written by the sons of Korah. And I think if we flip ahead just slightly, we see how this psalm resolves. Because in one sense, the psalm doesn't give us a conclusion. Did God respond? Did, did anything ever change? Does salvation ever come? Well, Psalm 45, just two psalms later, is the psalm celebrating the wedding of a king as he returns to claim his throne in Jerusalem. Psalm 46 describes how this king will rule over the entire world and all nations will be subject to him. These psalms describe the return of Jesus. That one day Jesus is coming back and he is going to marry his bride, the church. One day he will restore everything that sin has destroyed in his world. One day our exile will end, sorrow will cease, and we will celebrate with him singing and shouting for joy. Brothers and sisters, until the day Jesus comes back, there will be seasons of struggle. There will be seasons of doubt and uncertainty. And whether it's because of our sin or simply because of circumstances outside of our control, that we're going to struggle at times with fear and anxiety, with dejection, with turmoil. And in these moments, as we counsel our souls, we need to rehearse what is going to happen One day Jesus returns. One day Jesus returns and he brings his people to live with him and there will be a day of feasting and celebration so great that these seasons of heartache will seem like nothing. So listen, if God feels far away, keep talking to him. Keep counseling your soul with the truth and keep waiting for Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we come to you living in the midst of difficulty and turmoil, some certainly caused by our own poor decisions, but often by things outside of our control. And so we know what it feels like to say, God, I know you're my rock, but it feels like I'm being battered against the rocks. God, I I, I know... I know that you can vindicate me and you're my champion, but it feels like you've rejected me. We know what it feels like, this struggle, and so we ask for grace. Help the truth to sink in. Help us to realize that though we may feel these things, they are not true. If we belong to you, we have been accepted and will never be rejected. You are near to us. Jesus has promised that no matter where we go, even if we go to the very ends of the earth, that he is with us. So help us to believe and experience this truth even when it's hard. We ask for grace to do this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.